When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. State of mind. I'm Paul John Dykes, and today I'm delighted to be joined by Liam Carrigan and Lawrence Conley, both on different sides of the world, but both wearing the same Celtic top. I must have missed the memo, guys. How are you doing? Fairly relaxed after Brendan Ball returns, you know. Brendan Ball, is that what we're calling it, Lawrence? Brendan Ball. I'll tell you what. Um, yeah, loads of discussion points. It's raging on, isn't it? And rage is the, the operative word. Um, <laughs> we're going to be talking about everything from Champions League group stages, where we are um, in relation to the transfer window. Are we feeling well enough equipped to go into that group? Obviously, the package has been released by the club. We know how much it's going to cost us to go to the games. Plenty of the Axrom team will be going to the away games. And also, we'll be talking about this incredible scenario Liam, and it just so happens that we've got Liam and Lawrence who do like a wee chat about official dumb. Um, and it brought to mind a, a, a very overused quote, but I'm going to use it anyway. When you're accustomed to privilege, equality feels like oppression. Liam Carrigan, they're writing a wee letter of complaint to the SFA because I'm no chuffed that uh, VAR got it right. Well, I'm going to um, I'm going to borrow a wee phrase that my American friends like to use. Um, I think we can now say that Rangers are officially the Karens of Scottish football. Um, <laughs> every Karens. time they don't get their own way, they demand to see the manager. You know, mm-hmm. um, it's just getting beyond a joke. Look, you got beat. Just take it. You know, regroup. I mean, international break now. This is a time when if you've just lost a derby, right, which, you know, we could be, we could have been sitting down today to have a similar discussion. Thankfully, we're not. But, you know, we could have. The right thing to do would be to reflect. Where are we going wrong? What do we need to do to sort it out? But instead, it's tantrums. It's papal conspiracies. It's, Did you see it's that? Alex Jones levels oh. of paranoia amongst that lot. And, um... And it's, well, I mean, I'm loving every second of it. I'm not going to lie, but it really does, isn't good for them long term. They need to try and actually think about what what went wrong for them as a team at the no, weekend. No, 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 Liam. They need to continue <laughs> on the path they're going, Liam. <laughs> Come on, mate. What are you all about? The, the people conspiracy one absolutely oh, blew me that. away. We're at the stage sometimes where you've got to check yourself to see, is this real or is it a parody? Is it meant to be ridiculous or do they truly believe this? Um, and I think we're going to start off with this because we'll get out of the way. We've obviously spoken a wee bit about it uh, leading 
leading up to today's bulletin. But uh, obviously, the refereeing decisions were massive, uh, Lawrence, massive talking point. We've looked at them from every conceivable angle, but, you know, I, I know what your thoughts are going to be in relation to Lagerbielk and the chopped-off goal. But there's one at the time, I turned to James and I said to him at the time, I said, you know, that's a penalty. It was Kyogo getting shoved by the goalie. I think I mentioned it in the post-match. And I probably didn't notice the second push from Goldson. So, you know, Lawrence, if you're going to moan about uh, the, the display or, or the performance, rather, of the officials, you've got to take into account that they got away with that one. Oh, definitely got away with it. I, I put it in a group chat during the game and said, you know what, that's a pen. The ball's mm. just got up and he's pushed him. Why he's done it, who knows, but the ball's in play. And then, you know, for good measure, uh, Goldson pushes him. Yeah. You know, there's an argument because did a penalty uh, if made it went down it looked to be impeded managed to keep his feet though perhaps a penalty for Yang you know and Bobby Madden's come out and told him the, the, the rules you've got guys like Neil McCann on TV saying yes it's a foul by the rules but I don't agree with the rules so the goal should have stood just to add a bit of credibility to it Lawrence just to yeah. add some weight yeah. behind yeah. the but argument by the rules it's a foul but I don't agree with them so it's it's not off it. Just, come on, mate. Think about what you've said. Mm-hmm. You know what, though, right? See if they want to push push for this, Liam. I'll come to you on this, right? See if Rangers, as a football club, really want to push for reform in uh, terms of Scottish football and the refereeing uh, and the, you know, the way that we recruit referees and, and the training of referees and the culture within that group. If they want to go for reform, I'm all for it, Liam. I think go for it, lads. Let's tear it up. Let's start again. Let's get the neutrals into referee or games of football. They, they should really be careful what they wish for, I think. Well, you would think after the scalping they got in Europe last week, they would realise the danger of uh, going outside the, their immediate Scottish circle for uh, officials because, uh, you know, they didn't get any favours over in Holland and they got a good hiding along with it. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really, it, it's bizarre to me that, I mean, you know, that, that quote that you, you come out with at the start of the show just sums it up perfectly, confusing, you know, equality with, oppre- with oppression because... They've had it their own way for so long, they just cannot handle it. And the utter meltdowns we're seeing from their supporters in the last 48 hours are just another symptom of this entitlement that they've got. Um, Completely misplaced entitlement for a team that's won one league title in their entire history. Um, You know... Cup as well. I think it was third or fourth attempt, can't remember, but... Oh, aye, there is that, and... um... Uh, yeah, have they still got the bike in the trophy room or did they sell that? I can't remember. Um, I've still got a version of it. Um, I'm not sure if it's the same one. They'll claim it is. <laughs> Thanks to everybody for getting involved. I'm not sure we're going to get our usual trolls this week, but Paddy Lavery certainly is not one of those. You're always in there, Paddy, and it's great to see you. Afternoon to you. Um, is it sunny where you are? Because everybody's telling me it's sunny outside. I haven't even had a chance to go out and check it out. Jungle line, afternoon to you as well. We are going to be talking about where we are in relation to the squad um, going into the Champions League. Is there enough quality in there? I think one of the biggest things, uh, obviously we'll talk about the game specifically because you two guys haven't had a chance to speak about it on here at least. The biggest thing for me is we've gone into that um, transfer window um, and we've, we've been cash rich, Lawrence, you know, and as football fans, you think to yourself, right, cash in the bank, we get it. 
We absolutely get that you need to manage the football club and you need to do it in such a way that you're not staring down the barrel of a gun now. Celtic have been in that position on two occasions that I'm aware of. One, which is more publicised, obviously saved by Fergus McCann, but another time where we had to completely shift the way that we were working our finances and uh, that did result in uh, Peter Lowell coming in and counting the beans, Lawrence, you know, and since then we've been managing it completely differently. Uh, But we come out of a transfer window there that we've gone into very strong anyway, money in the bank. We, We actually have to announce the fact that we're, a wee bit richer than we expected to be. And we've made a profit in that transfer window of a net profit of around 14 million, maybe a wee bit more than that. And as a football fan, I'm sitting looking at the squad and I'm watching that game at the weekend thinking there's just areas of the park that would have loved a wee bit more quality. You know, and I think back to a wee bit different last preseason when we we do the deals for Carter Vickers and Jota. The reason I bring it up is because it, what it cost us. It cost us about thirteen million quid, didn't it? And I think well, we've got that fourteen million pound profit, unexpected profit from the transfer window. Do you think, Lawrence, that we've missed a trick here to bring in that extra bit of quality? Why didn't that happen? Why didn't it happen? Because going into the Champions League with someone of the stature of a Carter Vickers and Jota a double whammy on top of everybody else that we brought in, you'd feel a hell of a lot more confident, wouldn't you? Yeah. I I suppose I'm not looking at it in terms of spend, but we know we needed competition for Hart. We know we needed competition for Taylor. We knew that Mm -hmm. at the end of last season. And we've not done anything about those two positions. We brought a couple of centre-halves in who've looked good. One's now injured. You know, it was unfortunate the kind of injury crisis we have. Have we replaced Jota? Yang looks good. Is he going to do it to the same level as Jota? I don't know. But but the worrying thing for me is kind of left-back and goalkeeper. We've known for some time we need players in to provide competition. And we've not done anything about it. Mm-hmm. You know, regardless of how much money you've got, you're kind of going, at the end of the, end of the season, we need somebody in. You know, Seagrist is one in a way. He's not really providing competition to heart. No. Taylor's not getting any competition there at left-back. And nothing's happened. And it, it, and, it's not and lack of money. You know, it, it didn't need to be two six million pound players. You know, it didn't, you, you know, we're not saying ah oh, six million keeper, six million left back. We're saying bring in people that are going to give them competition and and nothing. So it's poor. Yeah. From that aspect, I think it was a poor transfer window. The guys were bought in. We've not seen a lot of them. You know, through injury or whatever. Mm-hmm. So Yang's look good. Uh, Rocky and Lagerbielk, I think, both have looked good. Obviously, Rocky's out. They have. we don't know, but Jared tells us he's going to be amazing. Let's hope so. Yeah. Yeah, uh, Saddened that we're not strengthening a goalkeeper and left-back. And Holmes looked good. We'll talk about Holmes, but I think he's also looked good as well, Lawrence. So, yeah, we've seen flashes of what the new arrivals can provide. And I also know that you can't just say, buy two six million pound players because that guarantees success. We know it doesn't guarantee success absolutely not and I think the example I used the Carter Vickers and Jota again was a little bit skewed because we knew what we were getting Liam we had had them for a year at the club you know so that succession was much less risky to shell out I don't think there's a Celtic fan on the planet who wouldn't have shelled out 13 million for those two players so I I get all that I know it's easier to say than uh, get the business done but it is it is slightly disappointing and I I don't want to labour that because obviously we had a really good victory against Rangers at the weekend and I want to talk a wee bit more about some of the performers um, who came through that game as well but I think Stephen Sloan's on on my uh, wavelength when when I'm thinking about we have a squad of 32 players which equates to a a yearly wage bill of over 30 million quid 
what if we had a squad of 25 with the same wage bill but better quality players? I, I've always kind of thought of that. And I know that a massive part of our strategy, Liam, is to bring in a, a group of players within an age bracket and within a, and a spend bracket who we can do a Van Dyke on. You know, or we can do a, even a Jota on, or O'Reilly. I mean, we could have made a massive profit. I really thank God we didn't. But to sell a one point five million pound player for ten million, you know, that that's the strategy. See, I'm going to offer a wee a wee counter argument to what we've been saying here about bringing in quality players, right? Because Carter Vickers and Jota, as you mentioned, right? Cast your mind back to when we initially signed them on loan, right? Mm. Who were they? Um, a Benfica reject and a Tottenham mm. reject basically, right? Now, we knew, or rather our scouts knew, that there was quality there, and that's why we went and got them, and sure enough, they've turned out to be stars. Um, You know, I think in the fullness of time, who knows what this boy from Liverpool could do? You know, if he has a good six months, he could become the next Carter Vickers, because he's coming from a similar, a very similar situation, you know, in a very good English team, but not getting a regular game, even though from what I hear from Liverpool fans, they rate him. Um, and uh, then you've got, I think, Yang has the potential to be the mm. next Jota. I think he's showing flashes of it now. And if he had a run of like eight to ten games in the team, he could be having the same impact that Jota had, potentially. Yeah, you know, I have seen, I've liked what I've seen. I know that Jared speaks highly of Tilio. I've liked what I've seen with Young Home. I want to talk a wee bit about these players individually. But the first one I'm going to bring up is a comment in the comment section. I'm not seeing many of the lurkers in the comment section, Lawrence. It's very disappointing. If you do see them, call them out, please, because it makes my job a wee bit easier. I was getting stick last week because there was quite a few in last week and um, it's difficult to keep an eye on them when we're having a conversation as well about Celtic. But JD comes in on the YouTube. If you want to make a comment, just subscribe to the channel. After all, after Nuno, how good was AJ? Great to see him in the side. Mm-hmm. What I want to talk about, guys, right, is we were we written off last week? There's certainly a lot of people thought we, we weren't going to win that game. And I'm not just meaning Celtic fans. I just think overall in Scottish football, it was like lambs to the slaughter. You're going in there with a partnership that played one game of football together at the centre centre back position and, and the you know Joe Hart maybe not having his best running form, Greg Taylor maybe not having his best running form, AJ coming back from injury. So yeah, I can understand the concerns. But if you come through a game like that, Lawrence, and you see Alistair Johnson crunching into tackles and with a big that big maniacal grin on his face when he does it, knowing that fifty thousand fans are absolutely despising the look of him. And you've got a player in scales who, who puts in you know, the coming-of-age performance uh, at Celtic. And you've got Lagerbjerg, who overcomes that that initial adversity of of thinking that he's sold the jerseys. It, it galvanises the team, Lawrence, doesn't it? It gives them a sense of belief. You know, anything that's been happening previously to that with regards to form, almost, you know, time will tell, but it almost becomes insignificant. We've got through that. It galvanises the, the belief within the side that we can still... Uh, win and we can still win well and we can win when it's backs to the wall stuff as well I think the jury not just among Celtic fans is probably still on Brendan and what his teams could be you know there's all oh, the camp's not happy will it be the same you know I think Rangers had won one in 13 against them now it's won one in 14 I think maybe that's why they're sort of so angry they've realised you know as it Brendan's back in it's going to be normal service under Brendan you're just going to lose 
doesn't matter, you know, but putting a second string apart, you're going to lose. And, you know, they had the advantage, 50,000 fans, no away fans. Since that, that's changed, you really need to, to, to take the points at home. And they couldn't ask for anything better. I think that's why they're also happy in the lead up to the game. They knew we were struggling, we'd have a, you know, no one would pick that back line through choice, would they? From Celtic squad, it, it, it's just down the injury. Hadn't scored for a couple of games. You know, what was the midfield going well? You know, was Callum past that? Well, maybe all those things are true, but you still lost. You know, and in truth, it could have been three or four if we'd taken our chances. Exactly. Uh, but you make a point, Lawrence, right? Leading into this game, I've read a lot of that kind of stuff. And thankfully, on Axom, I thought we were. I'm not going to say chilled. I'm, I'm never chilled going into a game like that. But we're, you know, as balanced as you could possibly be when you're under the cosh with regards to the injury list, right? When you're under the cosh, when you're thinking, I wish we had signed a left back. I wish we had signed maybe a striker, a goalie, etc. So yeah, going into that game, you had concerns. But I've seen loads of stuff leading into it, particularly on social media. And some people might say, well, why do you even pay attention to that? But uh, people were going, you know, Callum McGregor should be dropped. The captain of the football club. Brendan Rogers, uh, they're, they're talking about him not having it and all this kind of stuff. And we were putting the message out there that certainly I disagreed with that. And I, and I said that on a Wandering Paradise last Monday. I completely disagreed with it. It's just a sticky little patch, a couple of games, and we'll get through it. Now, I take Mantis Toboggan MD's point. We are not well enough equipped for Champions League. One ugly win at Ibrox doesn't suddenly transform us into CL group stage contenders. Totally get that. And there are issues, and there are issues. I mean, even with regards to scales, you know, yesterday James French came on, spoke really well about Liam's scales. Um, I, I don't think I was a massive critic. I just didn't think that he was going to be part of Brendan's plans from what I had seen. I thought it was just a matter of time before he went to Aberdeen, and that was where he was going to continue his career. You've got a man in the match performance, but I, I'm not going to get carried away with that, Liam. I still think yeah. I can't wait for, you know, either Nat Phillips or No Rocky or, or Carter Vickers to come back. Because Liam's skills for me going forward and going into the Champions League isn't the answer. I mean, listen, he deserves every plaud that he got, but it's one game. You know, it is one game. Um, and we we played that game with our backs against the wall, up against it, we got through it. But it doesn't mean, see, I think, you know what, he's going to stick around, he's going to be in the squad, but he's, he's not the first, second, third choice centre-half. No, but you know what, though? I, I liked... Scales' comments after the game. Um, first of all, I will hold my hands up and say, you know, I used the phrase, I think it was in Celtic Down Under, actually not here last week, I said that I didn't think Scales was Celtic class. And one of the commenters picked me up and said, well, define Celtic class. Right? And I said, mm-hmm. well, it's, it's a very individual kind of, um, you know, it's an individual perspective, right? But he went out there and did exactly what he had to do on Sunday and did it superbly well. Um, personally, for me, Joe Hart was man of the match. I thought Joe Hart just edged it, but Scales was excellent. Maeda was excellent. Um, and whatever whatever happens or doesn't happen in terms of Liam Scales' Celtic career going ahead, the boy can hold his head up high and say, you know what, I went to Ibrox and dominated them. Yeah. And that's something that I think every Celtic fan dreams of being able to tell their grandkids about, and he can do that now. And he should no, rightly right. be very, very proud. Definitely. And you know this, Liam, 
it, it could result in him being a, a very useful squad player, a player that we're not thinking, ah, we need to loan him out, we need to ship him off, let's keep a hold of him, we know what we can do under pressure. I, w- I think I was critical of him after the St Johnston game because I did, I did feel that there was two occasions where he failed to defend and he put us under pressure and losing a goal at you know, 75 minutes into that particular game is going to be very difficult for us to pull back the way we were playing. But when, when we're looking at how happy you are or, or, or otherwise, Lawrence, with the, the transfer window, one thing I, I didn't point out is the, the players we've kept. So I remember we spoke a lot last season about comments made by our former gaffer, Ange Postacoglu, where he said, you know, don't get too attached. We are heroes. We might lose a couple in the summer. And then we lost a couple of unexpected ones in Starfield and uh, Jota. And we know that Moy uh, retired as well. But to keep a badder and Carter Vickers and O'Reilly and Hatati and Kyogo, to keep these guys is massive. I'm not going to say it's gone under the radar, but we've got to also focus on the fact that we have kept a clutch of top, top quality players who you would expect to star if anyone in the Celtic team is going to star, to star for us in the Champions League. Yeah, you've got to keep your best assets as much as you can. We're a selling club. If you get a 25 million bid for Jota, you know, you had to take it. But great that Brendan's went round and, and tied up guys that he sees that as key. Also, we've got rid of Yageti and Sorrow. I know. Well, Aksibanovic, when he stepped out of line, it wasn't long going out and loan, was he? So there's been some work done in the back of the club in getting rid of these guys that, you know, it's not before time, let's be honest. But yeah, I thought Mieda, people were saying, oh, he doesn't look happy. He's chatting about watching a Spurs game. Jeez, what a performance. Unlucky not to have a goal or two. You know, it's back to his best, wasn't he? Well, this is another thing going into the game. You're, you're, you know, you're hearing the stories about Mieda um, and the fact that he's finding it difficult to adapt to a new style. He's watching the Spurs game. You're hearing Hattati's unhappy. You know, there, there's there's clubs sniffing about O'Reilly. But we came through that, and we've still got them all in the building. You know, like you say, anybody offers £25 million for any player in the Celtic squad, we're taking it. That's just the way it is. Um, and Starfield was a slightly different situation, one that, that Brennan Rogers spoke about. Um, but I think that there's individual players I would like to focus on. You, you mentioned Hak Zabanovic, for example, and he's been the subject of much discussion on Axon Liam. But I think what's mm. what I find interesting about the whole situation is it, it might have escalated it, or it might have you know made the thing happen sooner than than it would have done. Don't cross Brendan Rogers. He spoke about unhappy he was with, with Hak Zabanovic's comments on social media. So I think it's also I'm not saying he's hung out to dry, but he's made an example of him. Yeah, because I'd also think Haksabanovic has probably felt that way for a while. That mm-hmm. he didn't dare say it under Ange, because he knew Ange would say, Well, fine then, son, cheerio. Yep. And he maybe thought he could chance his arm with a new manager just being in the door and maybe not having the you know, the camaraderie with the squad yet to come out and, and take that kind of authority. But no, Brendan Rogers has been right, right, son, get to. You know, mm-hmm. um and you know. I have my issues with Brendan Rodgers, but I do think he handled that absolutely superbly. Um, and it's a shame for Haksabanovic because I think there's a player there. I really do. But doesn't fit with the system Celtic played either under Ange or at the moment under Rodgers. And he's a guy that obviously gets frustrated when he's no playing. But <laughs> going and having tantrums on social media is not how you get a game. You know, it's how you get yourself <laughs> sent to Stoke. 
Um, <laughs> so, aye, <laughs> that's yeah. uh, that's going to that's going to become a catchphrase, isn't it? Aye, if it you, is. you, you don't you, you don't wind your neck in, son. You'll be sent to Stoke. Aye. That's it. Yeah, um, that's absolutely, absolutely. But the but thing is, Liam, I, it's true what I you say. He's got um, the natural ability. He's got the natural gift of football aye. ability. But that's not enough. Certainly not in the modern modern game. The other thing which you, you raised there, which I just briefly want to touch on, see the Maeda thing about him being unhappy, right? Um, I'm trying to think of a word I can use here without swearing. Complete and utter BS, right? It was classic Daily Record of the Sun, can't remember which one it was, taking a Japanese news article and running it through Google Translate and not bothering to apply any sort of context or any actual translator, Right? Maeda did not say at any point he was unhappy, right? He said, and I quote, because I've read the original article in its original language, with a wee bit of help from my wife, um, it said, it's always a challenge when a new manager comes in and you have to impress him all over again. Mm -hmm. He was speaking generally about the whole team are going to be a wee bit unsettled now because there's a new manager in the door. And all bets are off. That's the same at the start of any new season under a new manager. So Maeda was just reflecting what you know what the whole squad's probably feeling at that point. Um, and he also talked about the Spurs game. All he said was he watched one Spurs game and he enjoyed it because it reminded him of how Celtic played last season. And so but, he was saying that. Yeah. He was simply paying a compliment to his former manager. That's mm -hmm. all it was. And by the time we get that translated, uh, uh, yep. Liam, it's a completely different story. But you know what? They should come to you. They should come to you for these well, stories, you know? Uh, listen, as, as usual, the Scottish media put two and two together and come up with 1690, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Barry Lavery. If Carlsberg did meltdowns, this is a very impressive... <laughs> An impressive meltdown, Paddy, I've got to say. Um, and I'm not, I've got to admit, right, for whatever reason, some people like to tune into um, Rangers shows and all that. I don't do it. I actually don't. Sometimes you'll see something popping up on your, your Twitter feed, for example, uh, because it's been clipped and all that. I don't tend to do that. But in terms of the meltdown, it's been unavoidable. It's right there. Um, they're demanding reform from the SFA, et cetera, et cetera. Another point I've got to make in terms of giving the club a bit of credit is that I'm pretty sure we were in for several players that we didn't get the deals done because I know that uh, Matthias um, Kvitzgarden, the, the Bronby striker, he's spoken about Celtic's interest. And I think the club um, knocked, the, knocked the offer back. Um, again, you know, you might be of the view, give them an extra one, one and a half, two million, get the player in. We didn't do that, but I'm sure there were a few players that we were pursuing. Will we go back to them in January? Perhaps we will. I'm going to bring up Paul McQuaid's uh, comment here. Now that the dust has settled, our coaching staff need to work hard to get team shape and movement patterns reinforced. We only have one league game before Feyenoord. Um, mm. Lawrence, I mean, I'm not saying it's scary, but yeah, in terms of getting everything ready for that big match in Rotterdam, there isn't much you can do. I mean, it's going to be a fragmented squad with the, the international break, and then you've got one game against Dundee to get it right. I think getting people back from injury is going to help us, isn't it? You know, having that Atate, Atate will be back, won't he? After the international yeah. break, Atate will be back, yeah. Which should be huge, obviously. Kobayashi was back, how big a play, part of the play, I don't know. So 
I think just given the players, they've got to have taken belief from Ibrox, haven't they? You know, those that hadn't bought any Brendan will surely bought it, bought it now and saying, right, you know what? We went out with their, their way of game plan at what? Brendan said, well, you know, they've got 1-1 and 14 against me. What do you expect? So, yeah, we'll be working hard, getting ready for Feyenoord. So the, the league match is getting a, getting three points because let's be honest, you know, the previous two games they weren't great leading up to Ibrox. No, so you, you want to get back into, you know, maybe scoring two or three before Feyenoord, getting the, the strikers back in form or having another couple of weeks layoff, mm-hmm. you know, get his fitness up. I think it'll be great. He looked okay. There's a couple of chances he could have done better with. But yeah, having a, an option up top uh, will be good. Uh, so, yeah, you know, but Brendan knows what's ahead of him. He's got the squad that he's got for, uh, you know, until January. So he knows what he's got to work with and mm. he's a track record of improving players. He knows what he's doing. It's just saying, yeah. right, this is what I've got. I mean, it's not like you'd be, Brendan's not a kind of guy that's going <laughs> to buy strikers that maybe five goals in five seasons or something and, uh, and pin his heart on them. He, he knows football, doesn't he? He knows what it takes to put a winning team in the park. And he'll, he'll be, able to do that, be able to do that with the squad settling in Scotland. The big hope for everybody was progress in Europe. And I think mm-hmm. that's why we're disappointed the transfer window. As much as a lot of players, we've not seen enough in them to judge them that have come in. There's a couple of positions that, you know, highlighted left back and goalkeeper. We all thought we're going to need strength in there. No, they haven't. But, yeah, we'll see what it brings. Well, there's a few elements to this as well, Lawrence, in terms of the way that Brennan Rogers can um, improve and develop players. He can give them a new lease of life. We know that. He's done it wherever he has gone. It looks as though he's done it with a few players already at Celtic. You've then got the injured players coming back in. And then the third element, I think, as well, is the unknown quantity or quality of some of the guys we've brought in. So, you know, there's going to be players who will, over the next uh, weeks and months, improve and come to the fore uh, that maybe we weren't even expecting um, as well. Now, it was great to see Liam. Fergus McCann at the game at the weekend. He had been Mm. at the Celtic story, the, the gala opening of the Celtic story in Glasgow. He's obviously stayed for the game. It was fantastic to see him at the match. Aye. Celtic, get your act together and get a statue wee Fergus while he's still around to see it. Get it done. You know, oh, that, that man just... He deserves every every form of uh, acknowledgement and gratitude that we as a club can give him. Because what a job he did saving our club. And not just saving our club, but kind of ushering in a new sort of... How can I put this? A new sense of... Uh, of our own place of where we are because mm. up until he came in, not only were we mints on the park and financially heading down the toilet, but we'd kind of accepted that the authorities would walk all over us, that Rangers would come out and, you know, set out to injure our players, etc., with immunity. Um, the SFA just would never give us the time of day. And Fergus basically put his foot down and said, not on my watch. None of that's going to happen anymore. He put, you know, he put in place the idea of like, no, no, we're, we're not taking this anymore. We're Celtic. We're the biggest team in the country. We'll, we'll call the shots. Mm-hmm. And I think that continued when, you know, later on when you had Peter Lowell, Martin O'Neill, uh, Gordon Strachan, right up to Ange. This 
idea of take no prisoners when you've got the Scottish media and the Scottish establishment to, to deal with. Um, and it started with me, Fergus. And he stood up. He stood it's up. You're right. That needs to be acknowledged. And I think everybody, every single body, every person in the world who loves Celtic owes that man a pint. You know this, Liam, there's two points to what you're saying there that I want to pick up on. The first one, obviously we do our wander around paradise. And over the last couple of weeks, I've been joined by a buddy. And uh, next week will be no different, top secret, uh, who it's going to be. But you imagine, right, that person I was walking around Celtic Park, not for the video, but just in general, uh, maybe had a visit from somebody from another country who wasn't born into supporting Celtic. And you wanted to introduce them to Celtic Football Club. So you go up to the stadium, you park your car and you take a wee walk up the Celtic way. So the first thing you would explain to them is obviously the guy holding a big cup is Billy McNeil. You, you you know, it's there. It's a lasting reminder. You walk up the Celtic way. There's various banners as you go up there. Then you've got the statues, of course, of Jock Steen, Jimmy Johnson, Brother Wilfred. You could talk a wee bit about these massive figures in the history of Celtic Football Club. The star above the entrance, you could explain this. There's a plaque um, a Tommy Burns plaque to the left of the, the uh, entrance as well. You could tell them about that. You then walk all the way around the stadium. Now, there are obviously some facial um, decorative uh, signage uh, and signs up, up at the moment. Not a great deal of history on them, it's got to be said. There's one of Billy McNeil. I think Callum McGregor appears on one of them. Not a massive amount of history, it's got to be said. And you go all the way around the stadium and then, you know, on the wall... Uh, on the other side of the park, obviously, there's a commemorative Celtic Graves plaque for the original Celtic Park, which obviously was the Celtic Graves that organised. By the time you come right round, you know, you could be forgiven for not knowing who Fergus McCann is because there's nothing. There's the Jockstein stand, there's the Lisbon Lion stand, there's all these different, you know, statues that I've spoken about, some plaques. There's so much scope for that, Liam. There's so much scope. And I know Fergus McCann from talking to people who know him really well uh, over the years, one being David Lowe, for example. I don't think Fergus would thank you or expect anything like that. But in terms no. of the club embracing our history, you know, I, I've, I've been saying it for weeks. That's the type of thing, Liam, that we could dedicate a space around the stadium for figures like him. And there's other figures, but I, I actually think he's one of the, he's in the top three for me. I've always said yeah. that you know, in terms of importance, because he saved the club. Um, now, if we take that a stage further, you're talking about standing up against the establishment. Um, you said the authorities would walk all over us. I want to use that as a link, actually, into um, a, a wee conversation that we had about jerseys. You you two guys are wearing the, the Celtic jersey at the moment. And obviously, I've done a huge amount of research into the jersey. You find wee interesting things, like, for example, the star above the, the badge. That's like a, an Italian tradition, isn't it? Italian football, you know, they've had stars for years. And it was a fans forum that resulted in a supporter suggesting that there should be a star above the Celtic crest. And lo and behold, that's what happened under Martin O'Neill um, is when that happened. So there's all these different things you learn about. But we launched the Hoops, beautiful 120 years of the Hoops jersey just last week. Absolutely stunning. Available for pre-order and all that kind of stuff. And it is the quintessential Celtic jersey of the modern age, Lawrence, because we know you've got to have the manufacturer's logo on it, but they've, white, they've done it white on white. You've got to have your crest white on white, etc. So we know all that. But it's beautiful, right? But it got me thinking about the kit that we didn't wear last year, which is the Origins kit. And it was launched, obviously, for 
St. Patrick's Day, the weekend, and we played Hibs on the 18th in the league. And I just felt at that time it was perfect because it was, you know, it was two months before the 70th anniversary, Lawrence, of the Coronation Cup final victory of 1953, which, you know, again, very fond of that victory because of the nearly mocking connection he scored in the final, didn't he, against Hibs. And it was almost felt at the time that Hibs and Celtic had gate-crashed the Coronation Party because we were the anti-establishment. We were the Irish football teams in Scotland, you know, with the Irish heritage. And we had uh, kind of like, uh, against all the odds, got to the final and Celtic won it. So you had all that happening. And at the time last year, in fact, it was this year, in, in March this year, we were only a couple of months away from another coronation. Now, I thought and I expected, Lawrence, that when Celtic took to the field against Hibs, we would be wearing the Origins kit, the one that yeah, had back think, to our Irish heritage. What, why, do we know why that didn't happen? I, I think everybody expected it, didn't they? You know, mm. I don't know, you know, did anyone have, I mean, there was no one in the sport, the Celtic supported the problem with the, with the kit, you know, I don't, can't see anyone Huge, from Celtic. No, wouldn't see anyone from Celtic on the use of that kit. Uh, I'm not too sure why anyone else would veto it, no, what reasons they could come up with, but I'm pretty sure, you know, the sponsor would like to, to have seen it won, you know, mm. increased sales. Strange one altogether, you know, could crack and top, isn't it? Celebrating, no, our origins. Sun you know, and top. I don't know anyone in Scotland would, you know, have anything against Celtics celebrating their Irish origins. I mean, that would, surely not. That, well, it makes me wonder, Lawrence, because last last uh, season, obviously, we had that kit. We all expected us to be wearing it. It was very, very popular. I spoke to the, the guys in the superstores saying, you, you know, you can't get it for love nor money. It's a cracking jersey, very popular amongst the Celtic fans. It was launched, in actual fact, in Ireland. You know, when we did the photo shoot and all that, that was over in Ireland. However, we didn't wear it. Is there a situation, perhaps, Liam, that we have asked for permission? Because you need permission. It needs to be stamped, mm. you know, approved and all this kind of stuff to register that jersey and it's been knocked back. Because if that was the mm. case, that would be preposterous, wouldn't it? Well, I mean, I can only speculate. Um, but uh, based on what I have heard and going on my journalistic instinct, if I hear the same story from multiple unconnected sources, mm -hmm. I tend to think there's probably something to it. Mm -hmm. Um I'd heard that some people said because of the quote-unquote Irishness of the shirt, it was politically problematic. Now, you and I, all we all know that's nonsense. But in the west of Scotland, I am not surprised to hear that that might have been brought up. That almost and, sounds like racism. Well, no, yeah. Um, although, you know, Credit to our rivals, they did bring out a homage to the Swiss Guard in their away strip this season. So they're doing their bit to fight bigotry. You know, give them credit yeah, when it's due. I thought it was a that, Between that and their papal purple away shirt from last season, you know, Rangers are doing their bit. Give them credit. <laughs> well, I find it astonishing if that, that was the case, Liam, because I think, um, uh, you know, you look at Ibrox here at the weekend when we, when we beat them 1-0, and it was exclusive to Rangers fans. But when you looked around the crowd, the, the jerseys that stood out more than any were, were the orange jerseys. And you think to yourself, well, the, the colour orange has never really been an official colour of Rangers football club. So obviously we know the reasons why that has been embraced by the club. 
and it's been pushed by yeah. the club with regards to goalkeeper jerseys, training kit, away jerseys, etc. So if Celtic were unable uh, or refused permission to wear the, the Irish Origins jersey, it would be great to know if that was the case and it would be preposterous if, if it was the case. And it wouldn't surprise so, you. Know, th- 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 this winds back to what we talked about a minute ago because do you know what? 20 years ago, Fergus would have said to hell with him, we're wearing it anyway. Mm. And then... Yeah. Like, like he did with the numbers. With it, yeah. Aye. If they've got an issue with it, let's have it out in the open and let's just hear exactly what your problem is with us wearing an Irish kit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I would like to find out more. If you've got any information, let me know in the comment section. I really would like to dig deep in this one because it was a surprise at the time. Um, but then if it comes to light that we did apply to use it, I'm interested in jerseys. It's all about research, of course. I might have to write an update for my book at some point, and I would like to include this in it. Um, I want to talk about Game Changers, uh, Lawrence, and Kyogo scored. Uh, you know, there's so many iconic moments in Kyogo's Celtic career, isn't there? I mean, celebrations, um, you know, the, the goals that he scores. And he added to that at the weekend. He had three chances at the weekend. He scored one. He was the the, the game changer. He was the, the match winner. And there's been all this talk about, yeah, but can he do it at Champions League level? I think this season he's going to prove that he can do it. I'm not happy going into this um, group with two out-and-out strikers. I know Maida can play there. I know Abara can play there. Uh, Rocco Vata can play there. Whether or not he's going to be in the squad, I don't know. I'm not happy with the, you know, the dirty strikers we're going to have in the squad. But Kyogo again, um, you know, nailed the fact that he is the match winner for Celtic. And when he plays on the last, the shoulder of the last defender, he's so much more effective. Lawrence, I know that he's been coming deep. What did you make of his performance, his strike, uh, in the aftermath of that? Because all the discussions been around, he's the best striker we've had since Larson. So uh, I think uh, I looked a wee bit, like, remember Lustig dropped one into him at Hamden and he finished it very reminiscent of that goal. Cracking strike by him. All right performance, you know, it's improved in the last few games. You no, know, Liam said last season, I think early on last season, it'd be Celtic's best striker from last and I'm saying, you know, we'll, there's a, a few other strikers in there that I'd rate ahead of him, but, you know, Kugo's got time on his side and... Mm-hmm. The longer he stays here, you know, he's just enhancing his reputation. He, he, he seems to be improving, you know, month on month with us. Can he do it in the Champions League? I think he will. You know, I think he's definitely got quality. That was a top draw goal. You know, it doesn't matter who hits that. To take it that early on the volley, you know, there's not many strikers out there that can do that and put it in the bottom corner. So, yeah, brilliant goal from him. Yeah, three chances. You know, he that way you back to old flick, he could have maybe caught me in for one, but you know, he's got the goal that brought the three points home. That that's what you want from your strike, isn't it? He's went out there, he's done his job, he's done it with some style. Should have had a penalty. Yeah, yeah. He's still got let's hope we've still got years yeah, of Kyogo with us. William Yate got uh, well there'll be seven years of Kyogo will Kevin Graham be writing a book in a, a few years' time. Let's hope yeah. so. Yeah, Willie put in danger, right? Larson's goal scoring records, hopefully. I'm not so sure about that, but if he does, if Kevin Graham does write a poetry book on Kyogo, we're going to have to get Liam to do a Japanese translation of that and take it international. Um, he's a player, Liam, that you were well aware of prior to him signing for Celtic. Uh, um, I mean, this this is season number three. First hampered a wee bit by injury. Second, 
30 odd goals. I think was it 34 goals he scored last season. I, I certainly think he could better that. I mean, in terms of him being managed by Brendan Rodgers in a slightly different way, what have you made of his season and obviously the performance at the weekend by Kyogo? Well, before we get into Kyogo, I should just state for the record that, you know, poetry is not my thing. I thought a haiku was a, a farm animal that has smoked weed. But anyway, um, I'm here all week. They, um, <laughs> look, it's funny that we talk about Larson because to me, Kyogo's performance at the weekend was very reminiscent of a, quite a few games that Larson had for Celtic down the years. Um, you, you would see games where... Larson would be trying things and it might not be happening for him. He might not be having his best game. And then just one moment of genius and suddenly he wins the match for you. And that was that was Kyogo on Sunday. He was, you know, he tried that wee flick that didn't quite come off. He had a couple of half chances and didn't really make full use of them. And, you know, he gets that one ball over the top, sees the goal and just fires it right into the net first time. And that is it is the sort of thing Larson used to do. Um, I mean, I remember when I had my back when I had my season ticket. It was really funny. One of one of the classic all time stupid comments you hear at the football. Larson's not having a great game, right? Ends up scoring two goals in the last ten minutes, but he's not having a great game. And he scores the first goal, and this guy behind me went, "Aye, oh, Larson, oh, you're good for scoring goals." <laughs> the, the, what reminded me exactly of that? Do you want your striker? I know. Do, you know? <laughs> I know. The, the, the bend that you know, the bend like Bratback uh, play that Jim does. There's a few moments in there that that really remind you of the attitude around Larson when he first came in, and obviously we know how that that turned out as well. What I love about uh, Larson is that his first and last goals at Celtic Park. What I love about it, it's an interesting wee pub fact. Uh, his first and last goals at Celtic Park were against Celtic. Um, so you can figure that one out. Course, his first and his last goals as a footballer were against yeah. Celtic, interestingly enough. Listen, loads of really, really good comments coming in. Um, and Fergus did release, says, be a tricolour kit. The white one, yeah, he did die. The jazzy one that we wore as a third kit uh, at Hamden a few times. Uh, obviously, one green sleeve, one yellow sleeve and white down the middle. He did that. Um, and also, we've Correct got me young... if I'm wrong, but I, th- I think we only wore that for one match. I remember us wearing it against you Aberdeen. Can look up later on. Yep, yeah, I think we, we, only ever, we, were, we were planning to wear it in a few games, but the way things worked out, I think we only ever wore it for one match. Maybe Fergus didn't get permission and he only wore it the once. The black tenants <laughs> kit was more Irish looking and we wore that. Yeah, with the tricolour clubs, we wore that in a cup final as well, says uh, Young Bats, absolutely. No, I want to know more about this, uh, this story that uh, both Liam and I and a few of others have heard about in relation to us getting knocked back with that kit. I want to know more, obviously, for research purposes. One player who did wear that black kit you're talking about, actually, was Charlie Mulgrew. And Charlie has announced his retirement. This is something Lawrence said he was talking to us about two or three weeks ago when we we um, did an actual live gig at Don Max and Charlie was here. Charlie was brilliant. And uh, he was talking about the fact that at that point he had one offer, didn't he? One playing offer. He wasn't sure what he was going to do with it. Um, listen, I'm surmising here. Maybe it was with Fleetwood. Maybe he was going to go down to Bruni and, and play with Bruni down at Fleetwood and that's all off the table because Bruni lost the job down there. But Charlie McGrew has retired. You look at him, over 200 games for the club, 41 goals, 21 assists. You can you can talk about that. You can talk about his honours. But I, I tend to think about Charlie McGrew in the sense of the nine-in-a-row era started, obviously, with, with Neil Lennon. And Neil Lennon's first season uh, first signing, rather, Lawrence, was Charlie McGrew. And he won five in a row, five leagues in a row. 
So he was part of that team that got that nine in a row era started. And I think we should always remember him for that. Some amazing victories that he was involved in. He, he flighted the ball over for Wanyama against Barcelona. The two games at Rugby Park, the three each game, and we're 3-0 down. I thought Mulgrew was unbelievable. Yep. He was a warrior in that game in the second half. And then the other fixture later on in the season at Rugby Park, where we win the league and it's 6-0. Mulgrew was outstanding in that game as well. So what's your memories of Big Charlie? Oh, do I think? Uh, oh, he's just coming through then. Was it Lee Neal? Danny Fox, yeah, Lee Naylor, Wolves. It was Lee Naylor, yeah, Neil with Wolves. Then he went to to Holland, then he came back, and then then he returned and became you know a mainstay of a really successful Celtic team. Mm -hmm. Decent free kick on him. Uh, I think he proved you know he was a better player than a lot of people gave him credit for. You know, he played a variety of positions for us, he was just an absolute warrior for us. Gave everything, you know, Celtic to the core. Uh, you know, you still, I think Michelle Moon was it that had problems with him, uh, his childcare <laughs> arrangements, but I'm not sure. But, uh, That's right. He made a joke about that recently, didn't he? He made a joke about that when he was on punditry duty recently. Did you see it? No. 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 Right, aye. Well, anyway, there's a meme kicking about. Yeah, Joseph McGonagall, 3-3 three no, three, three draw, or 3-0 doing against Kilmarnock, absolutely. Yeah, he's had a few one-liners in his time as well. Um, he's raging. There was a few, uh, actually, from Charlie McGrew. You made that up, he says, remember? Yeah, you've made that up. He's raging. You've just made that up. Before Mali goes off, someone's at the door. Oh, no problem. Uh, Mulgrew versus Lafferty. I spoke to him about that. Um, as well in relation to that that incident they got him a red card when he was at Aberdeen but yeah Charlie McGrew I think his plan Liam is to continue in football uh, he's obviously got a, a wee uh, gig as, as a pundit and I think he's pretty good at that but I think he wants to get into the coaching he's got his um, he was, I was talking to him about his badges he's got his badges and I think one of his kids actually is a, a promising player possibly at Celtic as well maybe 15, 16 year old player um, as well but Charlie McGrew yeah I, I mean I tend to remember him as being part of that team that set the ball rolling and I mean he won five of the nine in a row yeah I remember him as one of those guys who was always a seven or eight out of ten every week um you know, he wouldn't often get man of the match, but he was always part of the conversation. He cannot fault his, his effort, his ingenuity, and his versatility. He played a variety of roles for us. Um, you know, Lawrence talked about his free kicks and his shooting ability. We think of him as a defender, but, you know, he had pretty good, um, he was pretty good going forward as well. Um, he's a guy who, now I don't know what, what he's got planned next, and whatever it is, I wish him nothing but the best, but I hope if there's any sort of role at Celtic in the back room available, get Charlie Mulgrew in there. Um, a guy like that working with young players um, with his experience, his dynamic, uh, as I said, versatility, and also his kind of, <laughs> let's just say, his rather robust approach to taking on certain opponents. I think, uh, I think it's something that would benefit any team, but would especially benefit the Celtic youth team or the Celtic B team. You know this, right, Liam? I, I did speak about the fact that um, he had been at Celtic since he, I think he was eight. You know what I mean? And he came all the way through the ranks. 
And just as it looked as though he was going to be involved in Gordon Strachan's first team plans, Dan Cahill asked the question, did we let him go too soon? There was a whole story around that. So he, he did tell the story that he was involved in the two testimonial games, Roy Keane and Alan Shearer, um, full houses at Old Trafford and, and St James's. He started the second game, albeit a Celtic fan chose the team. I didn't know this, but a Celtic fan chose the team that night. Um, Talamo grew played and it looked as though he was going to be part of the squad. They then go on a pre-season tour of was it Poland? Was it Poland, Lawrence? I think, and he's yep. turned up late for the the team coach after obviously for for one of the games. Him and uh, his pal Aidan McGeady, they had come through at the same time, same age, of course, and um, they got a hefty fine from Strack for being late, and obviously he was bounced out on loan Dundee United, and then he was part of the Wolves deal that brought uh, Lee Naylor to the club. So yeah, I, I probably well, think he, he did. Didn't he? He, he done well, yeah. Yeah, couple well. of weeks, young player in a month, a couple of times. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But again, I, I hope so. The, the thing is, Lauren, sometimes you need that wee bit of adversity early in your career uh, to come back stronger. And I think taking up the point that Liam makes about him being involved in the club, the one thing I love about him is the fact that you know he, he's come through the, the academy, he's come through the, the ranks. But he's obviously looked after himself in, in so far as the fact that he's 37-year-old retiring as a footballer. He's not one of these guys in his early 30s that's chucked it three years before he should have and all this. He has maximised his career. And I think that that's so important when you're you're dealing with youth footballers coming through at Celtic to maximise your career. Um, now, I want to talk about supporters' buses uh, with you guys as well before we, we wrap it up today. But before I do that, I was made aware this morning of Danny Toner, who is a, he's a Greenock father of two. He's 31 years of age and he has been, he's suffering from MND. Now, I, I don't know about you guys, it never been, you know, I'd never been affected by MND or any members of my family. So I wasn't aware really of what it entailed until the, the story of Wee Jinky. And when obviously Wee Jinky was hit with it as well. Um, but all these mates are, are doing uh, an incredible mountain climbing challenge uh, to raise funds for Danny. Danny was a very active re- restaurateur. I mean, he's been hit with this at such a young age, only 31 years of age. Horrendous, horrendous affliction. Uh, but his mates are coming together to raise some much-needed funds for him. So check out that story. You'll find it online and support it if you possibly can. Um, supporters buses, Lawrence. Because I yeah. don't live in Glasgow and never have done, um, a massive part of my Celtic supporting life has been on Five supporters buses. Yeah. And um, I was reading, I say with interest, with disgust, um, that there is a proposal in place that basically, Lawrence, is going to make life difficult for fans to travel to away games. Yeah. Not even away games, home games, if you're like myself, or, you know, travelling to the game from outside of Glasgow. And I think it's a, a stark reminder that the Tories are no friend, no friend of the working classes. I mean, how on earth could that be workable? I think there's a scourge across Scotland of support buses dropping people off that have maybe missed a bus or need a lift or maybe picking them up, pulling into pubs and restaurants and having a few pints, stuff like that. No wonder they're out to stop it, eh? The absolute carnage of supporters buses. They're going to stop buses dropping people off unless they've got prior agreement to do so by the police. You know, it's incredible. Exactly. What's the problem with the bus? Pick somebody up and say, listen, you've missed your bus, jump on here, we'll drop you off on the way home. <laughs> you, you know, you're like, 
Nah, that can't be happening now. Need agreement for the plate. Needs to do that. Unbelievable. What about the economy? Economically. Yeah. You can't stop within the... 10 miles of the ground. Why? We can, you know, what's the, what's the issue of them? I don't know. Pulling into Chapman's Bar or, or, or Caesars or something. Let's go to Caesars. Mm-hmm. Get a few pounds before the game. Jump back on the bus and we'll be at the ground in time. I think part of it, you know, the need have left it, the stadium an hour after the event's finished. Good luck with that Celtic Park some nights. <laughs> you, you, you know what? You, you, you just want them, for what reason have they come up for this? You know, exactly what problem they're looking to solve here. It's just absolutely crazy. I and mean, naming addresses of people that have organised the buses have to be passed it's to the folks. Difficult <laughs> enough. Know? Yeah, you you organise the supporters bus. Yeah, you must go on yep. a list. The thing what? is, yeah, exactly, and and there you go straight away. The, you're an item of intelligence, if that's the case. But yep. the proposals include uh, buses can't stop anywhere within ten miles of the ground without police permission. Buses can't stop at any pub for a beer unless it's sold with a substantial meal. Buses are to arrive at the venue no earlier than two hours before and not later than one hour before the scheduled start of the game, unless otherwise directed by police. Buses can't drop off or pick up any fans at any unauthorized locations, Lawrence, this is the one you're going on about without prior permission of the police, they're just to wave at them as they drive past them. Bus companies must tell dedicated football officer 48 hours before the game, the number of supporters expected to travel, the number of vehicles booked, the name and contact number for the person who made the booking Liam, this is scandalous that they are possibly trying to get this through um, and you, you think to yourself the effect that, that it would have on the clubs, the supporters' clubs, the bus companies, um, the economy, uh, the football clubs. Why are they targeting travelling football fans? It's all about control. Simple as that. You know, the the toffs in the government do not like us uppity working class folk having a good time. It's that simple. They want us to work, pay our taxes, then die. They don't want anything else from us. How dare we have any fun? Um, you know, the interesting thing is, I thought about this. I, I'd, I'd read murmurings about all this a couple of months ago, but I didn't think for a second it would actually happen because I thought it's just it's insane. But, you know, here we are. And I went to, you know, I went to the two games in Japan, with one with my wife and one with my, my pal who lives down near Osaka. And I counted the number of occasions where... If I'd been going to the game in Scotland and behaving the same way, I could have been arrested about two and a, about two or three dozen times. Things like drinking in the stadium, drinking within a mile of the stadium, mm-hmm. deviating from my planned route to the stadium because I wanted to have a pint, um, bringing my own food with me onto the train before we went to the stadium. There are, it's just, you know, as I said, I mean, I wrote, you may remember, I wrote a piece for the Axon blog about this. I said Celtic fans are going to be amazed at how hospitable the stadium is in Japan when really this should be the norm for football fans everywhere. Yeah, Football is an entertainment. It's an entertainment industry first, and it's a sport second. That's the, the unfortunate reality of the capitalist society we live in, right? This is not just politically stupid and it's not just damaging to the morale of the working man 
it's even if you're a, a an absolute staunch capitalist, it does not make sense economically either, because the amount of money that is going to be drained out of the whole sort of football match day industry, because buses won't be able to go to pubs, so more pubs will close. Bus companies could go under because they're not going to get as much uh, custom from because Celtic fans will just go to games individually because well to hell we giving the police my name and address I've seen how they harass the Green Brigade and whatever mm-hmm. you know um, I mean put it this way right I I've lived in Japan for close to twenty years never broken any laws to the best of my knowledge um, but you better believe the British Embassy do not have my name and address <laughs> I don't want any British government entity monitoring me. Because I do not trust them for a second. No. And this is exactly why I don't register with them. It's a control and of why information. We should all resist this as much as we can. Yeah, you've but got you to know, resist it. They don't like it when we get together as a group. No. That's it. They don't want us no. to get organized. Don't let them get together and talk. Don't let them get organized. No. Yeah. Let's split you know, them up and keep control. I talked about this with my wife last night because we were talking just. Slightly tangential here, but you, you've probably read about the issue of radioactive waste getting released into the water off Japan at the moment. There's a big kick up about it. Everybody is very unhappy about it. And she said, how, how can governments do this? How can they just ignore what people want and just do what they want? And I said, well, watch NHK, the equivalent of BBC over here, right? It's all pro-government stance. Nobody's questioning it. And it's not about money. It's not about anything. It's about who controls the information. Government controls the information. They control the society. And this is a very sinister facet of that. They want as much information on working class football fans as possible. Not just Celtic fans. This is a threat to everybody. Because they want to control us. Mm -hmm. Information is power and power is control. And it needs to be resisted. It does. It needs to be resisted. And I think that Celtic fan bases, the affiliation, the association, uh, there needs to be a coming together to resist uh, this proposal because it is preposterous to think that they are trying to implement this into a sport that punches way above its weight in terms of the support, uh, Lawrence, when you think about it, rather than celebrate the fact that Scottish football has no right to have such a you know highly supported um, league as we do. Um, and they try and put things in place to affect that negatively. Listen, I know it's a wee bit political, but football and politics goes hand in hand. What's your thoughts? Let us know in the comments section. 1,400 strong um, at the peak across a number of different platforms, mainly on YouTube. Thanks, everybody, for getting involved there. If you want to make a comment, all you need to do is subscribe to the channel, and you can do that for us um, as well. It's been an absolute pleasure. And all that's left for me to say, Liam Carrigan, Lawrence Conley, thank you for joining me on A Celtic State of Mind.
Social Podcast Network.